really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. And we believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who have joined us since we started, you, some of you will try and use the change of time, but some of you were just late. That's, that's truth, isn't it? We're not looking at anyone in particular. Uh, welcome if you're joining us online as well, or watching on, on Catch Up. We're glad to have you with us. Kids, the activity pack will be coming out a little bit later, but we need your full attention for a few minutes. So get off your phones and get focused on the front and um, the activity packs will be coming out later and Kerry will be doing some stuff with that as well. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll get into God's word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity as we come and we conclude this series. Pray that you'd help us, help us to understand your plans and your purposes through this book. In Jesus' name we pray. I think we have the promo, so we're going to play the promo. Thank you. Culture wars. We see them everywhere in our society. It's played out in politics, social media, entertainment, the news, and, and truthfully, even in the religious environment. But the culture around us is not neutral towards us. It's, it's trying to shape us, it's trying to mold us, and often in a way that's not helpful to us. It's not a new thing. The early church leader Paul writes to church in Colossae, which is modern day Turkey, and he talks about the forces that are trying to shape them. He talks about their challenges. He wrote a letter to tell them how they could live complete lives. Colossians has been called one of Paul's most profound letters. You see, in that, Paul is giving us a careful and faithful study of what it means to live full lives. People are often trying to get help from self-help books, from angels, from different areas of guidance. Paul comes and reminds us that actually Christ is supreme in all things. So in this series, we want to help you discern a clear understanding of what's happening in the world, how you can live a complete life through the lens of the Bible. Culture Wars, a journey in Colossians. So we come to the end of the series today and we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you, we'll, we'll read some passages in a moment. I like the quote that says, there's no such thing as a self-made man. You will reach your goals only with the help of others. Maybe you can identify that. Maybe you can understand that. Or maybe some of you will identify with these couple of quotes. Some men are self-made but most are the revised work of a wife and children. Yeah. Or better still, behind every successful uh, man stands a very surprised woman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you liked that one, didn't you? Huh? Yeah. You see, we, we can laugh at that and, and we can have a joke, but we all recognize the fundamental truth that we actually do need one another. Yeah. 
that we actually uh, are meant to be in team together. That's the way we're designed. And this is particularly true as well when it comes to church and comes to church life. It's not the songs that we sing. It's not the lights. It's not all the stuff that, that happens up front. One of the most important ways to measure church is, is, is part of that and part of that health we'll find as we read together in Colossians chapter 4. Uh, next slide for me, please. And one of the, the challenges we face and we face in the modern world is if a church is moving toward dysfunction, it's where we have this view that the, the pastor, uh, the person who may be called the pastor, is the only minister. Well, that's not actually what the Bible says. And we, maybe we have this view that maybe you think that under this shirt. I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I don't have a blue shirt with a big ass on it. No, it's gray and it's fleecy because it was cold this morning. It was, wasn't it? But if a church is moving towards dysfunction, we have this idea, oh, we have the pastor. That's what we pay him to do. It's his job. That's not a healthy view. It's not biblical. It's not healthy. And that's how people actually get burned out. If a church is moving towards health, then it's this idea that everyone ministers according to their gift and passion. That's why it's so important that we know what we're gifted to do. That's why it's so important that we get in, in touch with our passion. Because if we want to have a healthy church, then we all need to know what we're gifted to do. And we all need to be serving in that area. We want to move towards health, don't we? Correct answer. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 7. And we're going to talk about this idea of um, what kind of people can we build a team with. Paul was someone who built lots of teams. And in the New Testament, we see he had at least 38 co-workers. Lots of times throughout, he, he pleaded for people to come and help him. He encouraged people to come and help him. And he talks about several people in this passage. And it helps us get an idea of uh, building a team. So verse 7 of Colossians 4. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He will also tell you everything that's happening here. And the other person who's in prison with me sends you his greetings as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. You were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They're working for me, for me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, Fully confident that you're following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for all the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. Say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry that the Lord gave you. So we, we don't see all the detail in this passage, but piecing together some of the background and some other references, we can see there's a number of things that Paul talks about in terms of building his team. 
And he starts off with this guy, Tychicus. And he says, Tychicus is a faithful man. Do you know, that's a great starting point for us. Just to understand, actually, that 90% of life is just showing up. It's not being clever. It's not having all the answers. 90% of life is just showing up. It's just being in attendance. And I know there's some people, and maybe even some of you who are sitting here or listening online, I know from pastoral experience that if people would commit to being in church every week for six months and sitting under the authority of the Word of God and applying it to their lives, that they would be further on spiritually than they actually are. Now, I know there's times where you're sick. We understand that. I know there's times where, particularly in this area, where there's shift work. I understand all of that. But I'm telling you now, I know from experience that if people are willing to make the commitment to come rain or shine, <laughs> we're in the British summertime, so it's raining. <clears throat> come rain or shine, come whatever's happening, whatever obstacles, whatever difficulties, were absolutely possible. If someone makes the commitment to be in church every week for six months, you will grow spiritually. I'm telling you, that is just a commitment you need to make. Faithfulness is so underrated in this world, but it's rated in the Bible. In fact, in Hebrews 10 verse 24, it says, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do you know you can form bad habits as well as good ones? And scripture says, form good habits. Don't neglect meeting together. But all the more as you see the day approaching, good morning. All the more as you see the day approaching. And faithfulness is a really critical theme in the Gospels. In Matthew 25, Jesus comes and says to the servants who have used their gift, who have served. He says, because you've served well, well done, good and faithful servant. Not clever, not smart, not extraordinary, not a superstar. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus recognized faithfulness. It's your efforts that count with him. It's not whether you're a superstar. It's not whether you can sing like the guys up front. It's not whether, it's not all those things that make people superstars. It's faithfulness. And Paul himself values faithfulness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this, So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who've been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now a person who's been put in charge as a manager or a steward must be faithful. Paul dealt with celebrity culture. There were people who were saying, oh, well, we like Peter. He's a better preacher than Paul. Or we like Paul. He's deep. He's really deep. Or, you know, well, of course, the spiritual ones, we're of Jesus. And Paul says, listen, all of these things don't matter because we have a task. We've been assigned a task as stewards and managers. And whoever has been assigned the task must be Thank you. They must be faithful. And Paul, when he's writing to his young prodigy, Timothy, he says this, there are people who will aspire to leadership. That's not a bad thing. If your heart is towards leadership, if your heart's towards serving, that's a good thing, says God. But Paul says, let those who are going to serve, First Timothy 3.10, those who are going to be appointed as deacon, let them be closely examined, and if they pass the test, let them serve. So it's not that you get an automatic right to be up front. 
It's not that you get an automatic right to lead ministry. According to Scripture, you need to be faithful and you need to be tested and proved to be faithful before you're giving that opportunity. You've gone very quiet on me. <laughs> I like the way James puts it. James 3.13, live a life of steady goodness. Isn't that a nice way to put it? Just live a life of steady goodness. Just the normal day in, day out, mundane stuff. Making the right choices. Having the right relationship. Using the wisdom of God's word to live the way he intended. So that we live faithfully. Why does the Bible emphasize this character trait of faithfulness? Do you know, there's no real skills that are given in the Bible for, for leadership apart from one, and that, that's the ability to handle the word of God correctly. But everything else is about character because it's always about faithfulness because the thing about faithfulness, faithfulness builds trust. Faithfulness builds trust. When people look at you and they look, they, they'll ask questions like, can I trust this person? Is this person trustworthy? And we all will unconsciously think about that and make that decision. And the, the way that we make that decision is usually over time, we look at the person and say, is this person consistent in their actions, in their attitude, and in their behavior? And if we notice that, that they seem to have this, then we will open ourselves up to them. Then we will deem that they are trustworthy. And so we have to be living consistent lives. We have to be living lives of character. We have to be living lives of integrity if we want people to trust us and we want to be trusted with responsibility. Faithfulness is absolutely critical. If people look at your life, do they say, yep, I can trust this person. They're trustworthy. That's an important question to ask and it's an important question to answer in our own lives and in the life of the church. And one of the things we'll be looking at tonight is this whole area of sexuality. Um, we're going to do a little bit of a seminar because it's a very important theme in our culture and around this theme of culture wars. And we, we want to navigate it sensitively. Listen, this is an issue in my family too. I'm not immune to this. We're not immune to this. This is endemic in the culture. So we want to navigate it sensitively but we have to deal with it biblically. And so we're gonna do that tonight and it will be appropriate for those of you going into secondary school or those of you who have children of secondary school age. There's nothing gonna be embarrassing. We're not gonna talk about reproduction. We're gonna look at stuff from a biblical lens and see how can we frame that. So I really encourage you to come and do that because faithfulness to God in our sexuality is important as well. There's nothing wrong with sex. God made it. He invented it. But he gives it boundaries and frameworks and asks us to be faithful in that. There's three things that I think as a pastor we all need to be faithful in. Number one, we need to be faithful in our growth. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's interesting that Peter says that because Peter was a bit frisky at times, wasn't he? <laughs> Peter was a bit unpredictable at times. So Peter's not writing from, well, of course, I'm holier than thou attitude. Peter was writing with a lived out experience where he'd learned, do you know what? You have to be faithful in your growth. You have to grow in both the grace, that is your experience of God and his love in your life, and in knowledge. They both go together. 
So I ask you, what are the spiritual disciplines in your life like? What is your commitment to Bible reading or listening? I love listening, but somehow engaging with God's word. Are you doing it regularly? Are you feeding yourself? Because if all that you're doing in terms of engaging with God's word is coming on a Sunday, then you're gonna be spiritually anorexic. Because you can't live of someone else's preaching. You have to engage with God's word for yourself. You have to engage with prayer for yourself. And prayer is that conversation with God. It's not something special. It's a conversation with God. You need to connect to others in community. We don't grow in isolation. We need other people to help us grow. We need other people to keep us accountable in that growth. Times when I've grown most is when people have come alongside me, either because they saw I was making a mess <laughs> and said, you need help, or because they saw something good and they wanted to encourage it. But we need one another to grow. Are you committed? And as we head into the next series, uh, after Easter, we're going to be heading into this series called Finding Your Spiritual Freedom. And I want some of you who have never committed to midweek groups before, never been involved, to make the effort. We're heading into summer. The nights are lighter. So there's no excuse, oh, it's in the dark. Would you consider making that commitment to your own spiritual growth and being part of a group? We have groups that meet several times during the week at several locations. So you will have an opportunity. Will you, for your own spiritual growth, make that commitment to be part of a group? I think that's important. Secondly, as Bev mentioned earlier, it's about being faithful in our giving. We're so thankful to many of you who are faithful in your giving. We can't do the ministry we do without people giving. That, that's the bottom line. We can only do it as people give. So if you want to reach out to people, we need people to give. And I want to thank some of you who have started to give, maybe for the first time, or some of you have started to tithe. We honor that and we appreciate that. And truthfully, we need that in order to do the work of ministry. If you want to see people reached, if you want to see people helped, then the only way to do that is through giving. And it's not because circumstances are good. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul speaks to the Macedonian church and says that out of their poverty, they pleaded to give. They pleaded to give. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If you were pleading with the pastor to give. <laughs> That's an amazing thought, isn't it? So we don't wait until the economy is better to give. We don't wait until our circumstances are better to give. It's a matter of trust and faithfulness because if you don't trust God with the little, he won't give you a lot. Jesus himself said that back in Matthew, in Matthew 25. To him, much has been given, much is expected, much is required. And if you... Don't honor God with a little. Why would God give you an increase? Why would God give you more? In fact, Jesus said, why would God give you true riches, which is dealing with people's lives, if you're not faithful in your giving? See, giving matters. Not because we're giving people a hard time, because it is a matter of faithfulness and stewardship to God. Because if you can't trust God in your giving, you won't trust him for other areas of your life. I'm telling you. It's true, it's a spiritual principle. If you do not trust God with your giving, you won't trust him with other areas. And one of those other areas that you need to trust him with is your gifts. Because those gifts are expressions of grace. That's what the very word is used. It's the same word 
for grace and the same word for gifts. Because it's not something we earn, it's something that's given to us. And Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse three to eight, after he says, surrender yourself, offer your body as a living sacrifice, he comes on to say, now let's think about the grace that's been given you, the gifts that have been given you. Have a sober estimation of your gifts. Have an honest estimation of your gifts. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Because if you haven't been faithful, then really you can't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But also, for many people, they think of themselves more lowly than they actually should. It's all God's grace. And we need God's grace to use the gifts that he's given us. Knowing what you're called to do and using it according to God's grace, that's what brings purpose in your life. That's what brings significance. That's what brings meaning There's a challenging little verse in 3 John. It's one of those very small letters just before the book of Revelation. And and John is writing to someone and he he writes to Diotrephes. He writes to the church and says, Diotrephes who loves to be first or who loves to be the leader. (laughs) That's a problem in today's culture, isn't it? There's people who want, oh, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Now, I'm not against social media. I I, I use it. But sometimes I wonder what people are doing with that. What is it they're trying to say? What are they trying to prove? Are they trying to meet a need that only God can meet in trying to be first? Do we love to be first? Do we love to be in charge of things? Or are we willing to be faithful in the small things? Are we willing to be faithful in the things that no one else sees? Are we willing to be faithful behind the scenes. That's the kind of church that we need. That's the kind of people that Paul says Tychicus was. Second person that he mentions is this guy called Onesimus. Onesimus was a man with a past. He had a a bit of a tough time because he was a slave and it was a common name for slaves, but he ended up robbing his master and running away. His master was a guy who Paul actually wrote to. It's a book in the Bible called Philemon. or Philemon. And in running away, he ended up probably in Rome and he encountered Paul and he encountered the message of the gospel and he embraced it. Why not? The gospel of freedom and hope and inheritance as we looked at last week, it's a great message. And he embraced it and Paul welcomed him as a brother. But he still is a runaway slave. He's a man with a past, and Paul has to write to Philemon, and and he says in chapter 1, verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. See, Paul is is making a play on words, because the word Onesimus actually means useful, helpful, or profitable. So he's taking even the very words, just as Jesus did, said, you know what? You're called Peter. You're like that little pebble that's an irritation in people's shoes, but you're going to become a rock. So God doesn't just see us as we are with our struggles. He doesn't just see us with the past that we've come from, with the brokenness or the pain. God sees what we can be because he wants us to be faithful. In fact, Paul says, I I long for you to stay at my side he says this in Philemon 1, verse 12. 
I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the Gospels. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you did would, would do would not be forced but seem voluntary. See, here's the thing before Kerry comes and does some visual stuff for us. The enemy will come in and whisper the lie in your life. Of course you can be forgiven. God's not interested in using you. Have you ever listened to that lie? Of course he can forgive you. Yeah, God's forgiving. He's going to do that. He'll take away your sins, but he's not going to use you. Remember your past. But God comes and says, do you know what? The kind of people I can use even have a past. Kerry, this shouldn't have been a surprise to you. Morning, everyone. Uh, So I just want to do a bit of a disclaimer here. I know I've got mud on my top. One of the good things about working with children is they share everything with you, including mud. So I didn't come like this. It's just gone on there since I've come to church. So Um, so we're going to think now about David's been talking about two people that maybe shouldn't have been serving God. If you look at their life, if you look at what they've done, they sort of, on a, in a worldview, maybe they should have been completely struck out of his team. But they weren't. Because God is a God of grace, God is a God of forgiveness. God sees our heart. And I think that's quite amazing. So, Ian's going to come up and help. And um, when David was talking about people that run away and people that get lost, I was thinking about the story in the Bible about the lost sheep. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I read parts of the Bible and my brain goes off in a little bit of a tangent. That won't surprise most of you. And I read that story and I know all about the shepherd being a good shepherd and he brings us back and all that. But I wondered why those sheep run away. Why did that lost sheep decide to wander off? And we're going to think about that now. So, around the church building, there are lots of different sheep. If you have a sheep near you, could you bring it up to the front, please? And adults, don't just pass it on to the children. I can see you. Do you want to tell that joke? See you. Get it? See you. Sheep, you. Ian has come out with loads of sheep jokes this morning, so go and stand over near Ian. And don't look sheepish. If you can go and stand right over there. Move over Theo a little bit so everyone can come through. Move back a bit, no, back that way. Brilliant. We've got eight lost sheep. They're all up the front. Let's see why these sheep run away. So you're going to give us the reason why your sheep run away. We're going to think about what the shepherd might say if he brought that sheep back to the sheep that run away. And then Ian's going to stick them up for us and do his Mr. Poppy impression and uh, make a picture for us. So, Erica, why did your sheep run away? They serve the wrong sort of quiche. So in the field where this sheep was, they served the wrong sort of quiche. 
I wonder what the shepherd would say when he bought that sheep back. I think he might say, start to like quiche. Or he might say, eat something else. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Erica. If you'd like to sit down, that's fantastic. Anthony. Uh, <clears throat> this sheep is uh, fed up of having to work. Right, this poor sheep, he's in this field, and he doesn't want to do any work. He thinks that he should be able to just rest in the pasture, pasture, not pasture, pasture, <laughs> and... <laughs> I'm not doing very well today. And eat the grass and just relax. He doesn't want to do any work. I think the shepherd might say, if we're going to operate as a team, you need to. That's what he would say to him. Okay, next one, Theo. No one talks to me, I just don't fit. Oh, oh that deserves an R. No one talks to me, I just don't fit. Being serious here, I wonder how many times we go into a big group of people and we feel lonely. I think that's one of the hardest things to cope with, to be surrounded by people but to still feel lonely. And we need to realise as a church that there are people that do feel like that. And I think the shepherd would say to that sheep, we love you as you are, we accept you as you are, and we need you, so please keep coming. And I think the shepherd might say to the rest of the sheep, stop getting in your little groups and talking together and embrace these new people that are coming in. And so that's what the shepherd might say to that sheep. Michelle. Number one. <laughs> it says, no one lets me do anything. No one lets me do anything. So this poor sheep has got lots of gifts, lots of things that it can do, but no one lets them do it. This goes back to what David was saying about using our gifts. It's really important that we are embracing each other and making sure that everybody has a chance to serve. As a church, you are amazing. The amount of people that give time and energy and effort behind the scenes is phenomenal. We need that. We really need that. If we are gonna reach the community out there, we have to have everybody using their gifts. Brilliant, next one. The grass looks greener over there. The lo grass looks greener over there. He looked over the, in the other field and he thought, oh, I quite fancy going over there. Can I just tell you something? The grass is greener over there for a little bit and then you realize actually it's not. Because when we're in the middle of something, when we first start something, it's all exciting and new. And we think this is amazing. When you go to a new church, it's amazing, it's new, it's exciting. And then we realize church is made up of people and things start to go a little bit wrong. Or we start to get a little bit, I'm not gonna give, I'm not gonna serve. And that's where we look for another place. And we see the grass is greener over there. We go over there. A few weeks later, you realize actually it's not. So that's what he would say to that sheep, I think. How are we doing, Ian? Are we all right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Annabella? I didn't agree with what Sammy said. Okay, Sammy the sheep has said something. And they didn't agree with it. Maybe Sammy was at the front talking and it really offended that person. They didn't agree with what Sammy said. I think the shepherd might say, go back and reflect on what Sammy said, because sometimes the things that we disagree with the most are the things that actually are secretly challenging us. So maybe that's what he would say to that sheep. Hannah. I messed up yesterday. I messed up yesterday. How many times have you been at home and you know that this week just hasn't been a good week? And you think, actually, I've really messed up. I can't face those people. 
What's our natural instinct to do when we know that we've messed up? To hide. And so that sheep has run away. Please don't run away. The bravest thing you can do is face it, admit it, and move on. We've got a God that is just full of grace and forgiveness. We just need to face him and be honest. And the last one, Sandy? I didn't like the way Cecil looked at me. She didn't like the way Cecil looked at her. Isn't that, how many times do we hear that? Honestly, as a teacher, I used to hear that all the time. He looked at me in a really funny way. Actually, maybe he was only feeling a little bit sad or feeling a bit lonely, or maybe he was, had a stomachache. He wasn't looking at you in that way, you just perceived it as that. And I think that's what the shepherd would say. Maybe we need to go back and examine why does it upset us so much? Because quite often the things that really upset us are down to our own insecurities. Because if we believe we're no good, if we believe we don't belong, we find reasons to prove that. And I think that's what our shepherd would say to our lost sheep. So Ian's doing a bit of a sellotape job here. How's it going, Ian? Good. I'm just going to let him carry on. So I wonder if any of those sheep you can relate to this morning. I wonder if we're being honest, when we got up this morning and we were coming into church, I wonder if we felt like any of those lost sheep. Because I can tell you there are people that have felt all of them this morning. And what we need to do as a church is to make sure we understand those feelings. We embrace those feelings. And we make everybody know that none of those are reasons to not come and join us. Because we're all needed. Every single one of those sheep is needed. Because hopefully, this is where I get very nervous, we're going to turn the picture around. Have you stuck it well, Mr. Poppy? I do have to tell you that um, when I said Ian was helping, Liz did a bit of a disclaimer and said, on your head be it, so. Don't let him see this bit. <laughs> Is it going? Yeah. Brilliant. If we turn it round, all the sheep have returned. And what have we got? We've got the body. Because if one of those sheep are missing, part of the body is missing. And we can't highlight that enough. However little you think you do in church, when you're not here, there is a gap and you are needed. So one of those sheep ran away, part of the body was missing. Please know that. You are valued, you are needed. We need every single member of the body. So thank you. I think Ian deserves a round of applause. He does, thank you. Okay. So we're back into Colossians 4, and I think just to re-emphasize that point, Paul talks about another guy. We don't get a lot of details from him here, but verse 10. Mark sends his greeting, he's Barnabas' cousin, and you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Paul's referring to a guy called John Mark. He was a helper on Paul's and um, Barnabas' first missionary journey, but basically he bailed out. They had a bit of a tough time and when they were on Cyprus, they only saw one person who come to faith and they, they faced lots of spiritual opposition. And so John Mark thought, this is a bit tough, I'm gonna go back home. And Barnabas, who 
That wasn't his original name. He was actually called Joseph, but he was such an encourager, they changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So Barnabas was this cousin who was really encouraging, and he said to Paul, let's take Mark back with us again. And Paul resisted that, and Paul had the opinion, listen, pioneer missionary work requires someone who's resilient, it requires someone who endures. It requires someone who's going to stick at it. And Paul saw John Mark at that point as a risk to the mission trip. And the Bible records that they sharply disagreed and went separate ways. But then later in life, something happens with, with John Mark. In fact, you know, he's sometimes just called Mark. And he's the one who wrote the gospel of Mark from the eyewitness account of Peter. That's why Peter and the disciples are painted in such poor light in the Gospel of Mark. You look at it. It's because it's, it's Peter's testimony. It's Peter's eyewitness and Peter's very honest about some of the mistakes he made. And Mark, or John Mark, is the one who recorded that. You see, there's always a new opportunity with God. God doesn't write us off and say, well, that's it. You're not getting any more chances. Failure is not falling down, but staying down. One of the things we have to do in those circumstances is we have to take personal responsibility. It's very easy to blame everyone else, isn't it? It's their fault, it's my family, it's this, it's that. And we point the finger, but as Kerry said, sometimes what we actually have to do is look at ourselves and say, actually, this is my issue. <laughs> This is my insecurity. This is my need. This is my vulnerability. Take personal responsibility for it. Stop blaming everyone else. And that will allow us to get back on track. See, God is a God who will give us a new opportunity. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says that today is the day of God's salvation. Today is the day of God's grace. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another opportunity. Today is the day. So wherever you are in your relationship with God, God's message comes to you and says, there is an opportunity for you. Doesn't matter what sort of week you've had, what sort of year you've had. It doesn't even matter what sort of life you've had. Today is the opportunity for you to make a fresh start and be in relationship with God. That's good news. Number four is a guy called Epaphras. He was a man of prayer. I like that image of, of him wrestling in prayers is how one version puts it. He was wrestling in prayer for them. And the problem with our prayer life is, is that so often we're praying for God to make everything go right. <laughs> and too infrequently we pray to be right. You understand that distinction? So often we pray for God to make things to go right. And usually that involves fixing other people or sorting other people out or getting the circumstances just right so that we can prosper. And we don't pray enough for God to make us right. Because there was plenty of times where Paul didn't change the circumstances. God didn't change the circumstances for Paul. He didn't even change the circumstances for Jesus. But Jesus got to the place where he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I wonder, is that why Paul says earlier in Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer? Because he knows it's not just a one-off, is it? 
It's not just praying something once. It's not even us just praying for ourselves once. Yes, it's right to pray, give us our daily bread. But God wants us to change in prayer. Not always the circumstances, not always other people. But God wants us to change in the wrestle of prayer. In Acts 2 verse 42, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, it says that the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They didn't need jumpstart leadership. They didn't need a reminder every Sunday morning to come to church. They didn't need someone to come along and say, oh, there, there, there. Yeah, come along. I know it's been a tough week. Actually, they devoted themselves. And until we have that mindset, you will be blown about by every wind. That's what Ephesians says. Unless you have that commitment to truth, unless you have that commitment to focus on God, then actually you're just going to be blown about depending on how you feel in any given moments. Feelings are very useful in many areas of our life, but when it comes to our faith, they're not always reliable, are they? Because our feelings can change from moment to moment. Epaphras was a man of prayer. He had that devotion. Some of you, I believe, have that gift of intercession. You, You seem to be able to pray. God seems to use you wrestling in prayer. If you want to talk to me a little bit more about that, I have some notes because that may be one of your spiritual gifts. Finally, there's this guy called Archippus. He was a man of calling. See, I do believe that God has placed a calling in each and every one of our lives. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us, which is why I am passionate about believing that you should know your gifts and serve according to your gifts. Jesus completed the work that God had given him to do. It's what he says in John 17. I brought you glory here on earth by completing the work you gave, us to do, gave me to do. God calls us to be fruitful. He doesn't call us to be passengers in church. He doesn't call us to be passive. He calls us to, calls us to be fruitful. It's part of his creation mandate. Genesis 1:28. be fruitful and multiply. Jesus, when he came on earth and he's speaking to the disciples, he says, I have called you to bear fruit and fruit that will last, eternal fruit. And this is what brings great glory to my Father. Do you want to bring glory to the Father in your life? Then being fruitful is one of the ways to do it. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. And before that, Paul has talked about all these character issues, all this stuff that he wants us to add into our faith. Because he's making the point, you know, it's not enough just to know you've been cleansed from your sins. God doesn't want just to give you a ticket to heaven and that's it. God has so much more for you than just being forgiven. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to serve. He wants you to serve his purpose. He wants you to know what you're called to do. Titus, Paul and Titus puts it this way. This is a trustworthy saying and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. 
These things are useless and a waste of time. What does Paul insist on? He insists on uh, Titus teaching that they devote themselves to doing good. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to in your life? Show me your phone and your bank balance and I'll tell you. What are you devoted to in your life? So all of these things, I think, are part of the things that help us be part of this body, that help us fit into our place in the body of Christ and a new life. So I want to talk very, very briefly about what am I looking for in a team? This is stuff that I've used whether I'm talking locally or whether I'm talking about the work that we do internationally. There's five things that I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for character. See, that's the basic foundation. It's not about being a superstar. It's not about being clever. But if you have character, you'll be teachable. That, that's the thing that Jesus marked out more than once. He brought a child in front of the disciples and said, listen, guys, you need to be like this. You need to be like this child to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because a child is teachable. How does this work? Why is this blue? Why is the sun orange? Why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Because they want to learn. They want to grow. They're insatiable in their quest for knowledge. And I wonder, is your character demonstrated in your teachability? I can tell you now, you'll never be part of my team if you don't have character. I don't care about your giftings. I don't care how clever you are. If you don't have basic character, you'll never be part of my team. And that character is not about perfection because I couldn't even be in my team if that was the case. (laughs) It's not about perfection, but it is about being teachable. Are you teachable? Are you willing to receive correction? Are you willing to receive rebuke and not throw your dummy out of the pram? People do that. When you come alongside and you try and help, oh, I'm out of here. I'm over to where the grass looks greener. Listen, the grass may be greener on the other side, but it still needs cut. (laughs) All right? The grass may be greener on the other side, but it still needs cut. As Kerry said, it only looks green for a while. So your character will be shown by your teachability. Secondly, I am looking for competence. I'm always looking for faithful people who are competent. Not competent in everything, but know how God has graced them, know how God has gifted them, and say, do you know what? I'll do that. I'll take initiative on that. I'll show that I can follow through on that. Character is the bedrock. Competence is the thing of follow through. And chemistry. You have to have chemistry. If you're going to be part of my team, you have to like me. (laughs) That's the basic thing. Now, you may not agree with everything I say, and you don't have to, because you know what? I don't agree with everything you say. So that's okay. You don't have to agree with everything I say, but you can't be working in a contrary spirit. You can't be working against me. You can't be undermining. You can't be going behind my back. There has to be that chemistry. And Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And I've mentioned this many times before. This is not a yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir. You're the pastor. Everything you say has to be direct from God. Because we know that's not true. We're flawed human beings. We make mistakes. But what it does mean The word means that you are open and responsive to persuasion. 
That's what it means to submit to my leadership. Not that you think I'm perfect, not that you're perfect, or I think you're perfect. I'll be careful who I look at in. (laughs) But there has to be that chemistry that says, you know what, I'm open and responsive to this guy's persuasion. You're never gonna be part of my team unless you can work with me in that way. There needs to be a sense of calling. There needs to be a sense of calling to this place. Listen, we're not a perfect church. We're probably not even the best church in Crawley, but we're the church God has designed us to be. We are what we are. There are other churches that have different emphasis, and if, if you're not called here, then that's fine. Go to where you can grow, honestly. If this isn't your church, if you can't say you belong here, if you're not happy here, go somewhere else where you can be happy, because scripture's clear about that, that don't be a burden to your leaders and make their work even harder because you're always complaining and you're not happy and you don't like this and you don't like that. Honestly, it doesn't work for me and it won't work for you because you won't grow. So there needs to be that sense of calling. This is where God has placed me. This is where I'm gonna work out my gifts. This is where I'm committed to financially as well. We've talked about that. So if you're called to here, there is an expectation of responsibility. There is an expectation of engagement. I know that sometimes my preaching is not easy to sit under. I know that. That's why I have nice people preaching sometimes. (laughs) Just to give you a break. I understand that. (laughs) I'm not preaching now. I'm telling the truth, Sophie. (laughs) Listen, my style of ministry wants to develop people, it wants to encourage people, it wants to draw out the best of you. That means I will challenge you as much as I encourage you. Those of you who are close to me know that. Those of you who are part of my team know that. I will both challenge you and encourage you. And that makes the fact that sometimes I'm uncomfortable being around. But I tell you what, you will grow, won't you? You will grow if you listen to me. If you respond to what God, the grace God has given me, you will grow, the church will thrive, and we will prosper in the things of God. But you need to know you're called here because when the time of challenge comes, if you're not called here, you'll go, do you know what, I think I'll go somewhere else. I'm sure there's easier places to be church. I'm sure there is too. And do you know what? If it wasn't for God's calling, I'd rather play golf on a Sunday morning. I know I'm called here. I know I'm called to do this work. I know I'm called to lead church and be part of church. And I've known that in season and out of season, as the Bible says. I've known that in good times and bad times. I've known it when people don't want to follow me and I've known it when they do want to follow me. I know I'm called to be here, so you're stuck with me all day. <laughs> Live with it. I hope I'm stuck with you as well. And finally, it's about culture. So we do have a particular style of church. We do have values that we're leading by. Just go back a slide, please. If the culture that that we're trying to build doesn't excite you, if it's not something you feel you can get on board with, then you're in the wrong culture. (laughs) That's the truth. And if you are, I release you to go somewhere where you're meant to be, truthfully, because it's the kingdom of God. This isn't my church. 
It's not your church, it's his church. We're seeking to build it as faithfully as we can, but there is a certain culture and there's a certain way that we're doing things. And that will attract some and repel others. I totally understand that, I live with that. But don't come in and say, well, you know, I'd be happier in church if you just changed this. (laughs) Or I'd be happier in church if you would just tone that down a little. Or I'd be happier in church if you weren't quite so much you. (laughs) Tough. This is the culture that God is leading us to build. We want you to be part of it and get excited in that. Is that all right? Thank you. So as we conclude, why does all this matter? It matters because the gospel message needs all of us to reach all people. There's some people I can reach that you will never reach. Some people actually like my preaching. Some people actually like the directness of my ministry. That's fine. There's some people who will like Bev more because she's nice. She's soft. She's gentle. She's a shepherd. Listen. I know all this. You're not telling me something they don't know. If you want answers, come to me. If you want someone to listen to you, go to Beth. (laughs) But we need all sorts, don't we? And that's why we have to function as a body. Because we need one another. And that's why we have a pastoral team. Because it's not just me. That's why I don't call myself a pastor. I'm the leader of the church. We need a pastoral team and we need everyone to function, to care for everyone. We need all people to reach all people. You want to be part of a church that values different gifts, different cultures. So we really need to take this seriously. I I don't believe in in a church that's Nigerian. I don't believe in a church that's South African. I don't believe in white churches. I don't believe in Spanish churches. I believe that God brings us all together to be one in Christ. I don't agree with churches of just one culture. It's more comfortable for the individual, I know that, but it's not the gospel, because the gospel is sent to break down barriers, and the challenge of that is, I do things differently than you. I say things differently than you. So in Nigeria, my style of preaching is normal. It's like, come on, bring it on, isn't that right? And the more direct I am, the more amens I get. That's just culture, that's style, that's different. We understand that in England you have to kind of, well, maybe, possibly, if you don't mind, having to think someday about this. It's a different culture, isn't it? And some of you have come from different cultures. So what that means is we have to adapt and be flexible with one another. That's, that's the value, the wonderful thing when we did our, our, our meal was when we had, what, 20 nations represented in the church? Fantastic. People of much larger churches in different areas don't have that representation. But what that means is we have to be patient and flexible and loving towards one another because we are all different. We come from different cultures and we need to take that seriously. As we said last week, team ministry is important. I'm building a team. If you're looking to me for all the answers, you're in trouble. You know that, don't you? Yeah. Liz said yes. I thought you said it a bit quickly, but okay. <laughs> if you're looking to me for all the answers, you're in trouble. We, we look to Jesus, 
and he builds his church and he builds his team according to what God wants to do. We need a team. We need you to be involved. We need you to be serving. We need you to be giving. We need you to be taking initiative and responsibility. That's how the church thrives and prospers. That's why we take risks on people who've never preached before. And by the way, just to say, just to encourage you, in the next two series, Bev has agreed to preach. Now the thing is, that won't be on stream. Yeah, so you'll have a nice Sunday that day. Can relax. <clears throat> it won't be on stream because Bev won't do that on stream. So it'll only be for those who are present on that Sunday. And those who are watching the stream, I'll record a message. You have been warned. <laughs> we need a team. And that team is built on Jesus. Comes out of our character first and foremost. I realize today in some ways is a challenging message. But as you see, it's very much from my heart. This is me. I'm not a politician, Erica, you know that. I'm not trying to be clever. I'm not trying to win friends. I'm trying to be truthful to what scripture says and build a church that he's proud of and we want to be part of. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless.